Luke chapter 16, verse 1 to 31, the parable of the shrewd manager. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 400. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can have two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. The law and the prophets were proclaimed proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery, and the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in a luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. 
Abraham replied. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Let's pray as we come to God's word together. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Father, we do thank you for this promise. And we pray this morning that as we study your word together, that you would help us to understand it and believe it so that we will be free to be generous with all that you've graciously given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, among the many perceptive quotes of the American actor Will Rogers was this one about money, which some of you may have heard before. Too many people spend money they haven't earned to buy things they don't want to impress people they don't like. Benjamin Franklin, one of the founding fathers of the, the US, said this about money. Money never made a man happy yet, nor will it. The more a man has, the more he wants. Instead of filling a vacuum, it makes one. Well, there are plenty of other quotes about money that you can find. And whatever you think about it, you can't deny that it has an incredible power over people. Disagreements about how it's earned, how it's divided up, how it is spent, are probably the main cause of division in marriages, in, in families, in businesses, even in churches. We're in the middle of a sermon series in Luke's Gospel on Jesus the Revolutionary. A couple of weeks ago in chapter 14, we looked at Jesus' teaching about the cost of discipleship and how he said that his followers needed to give up everything to follow him. Last week in the parable of the, the lost sons, we saw two different ways of rejecting God's love. One in outward rebellion, the other through trusting in one's own goodness and righteousness, commonly known as pride. In both cases, Jesus calls us to repent and to join his kingdom. Well, in our passage this morning, we're looking at a, a specific idol, the idol of money, that Jesus calls us to give up to follow him. And here he's quite direct. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. And with Jesus, that's not just a, a nice quote. It's actually a serious issue because, as we'll see in the second half of the chapter, what we choose to serve will determine where we spend eternity. If we love money more than God, then we face an eternity without God. The great news is that if we put Jesus first in our lives, then although it may mean living with nothing, uh, we'll be blessed with amazing riches. Because the earthly poor become spiritually rich. And what we'll see is that uh, it's not the money itself that is the problem, but it is the attitude of our hearts. Because our attitude to money reveals what we value in our hearts. Chapter 16, and Jesus tells his disciples a parable. He begins in verse 1. There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. In the previous chapter, we heard about a prodigal son who, who went off and wasted his money. Here we learn of another person who's wasting somebody else's money. The rich man calls in his manager and tells him that he's fired. And realizing that he's going to be unemployed, knowing that his other employment options are fairly limited, since he doesn't feel himself fit for manual labor, he's too proud to 
to beg. He realizes that his only option is to, to make friends while he still can. So he calls in his master's debtors and cancels some of their debt. First one owes 3,000 liters of olive oil, which he reduces to 1,500. The second one owes 30 tons of wheat, which he reduces to 24. The difficulty in understanding the parable is in verse 8, where Jesus says the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Now, if the dishonesty is relating to the action of the manager in cancelling his master's debts without his approval, then it would be strange for Jesus to command what is done. It makes more sense, therefore, if the description of the, the dishonesty refers back to what he did that caused him to lose his job in the first place. But what is going on when he cancels some of the debt of his master's debtors? Well, it may be him writing off his own share in that debt. Maybe um, he was entitled to some sort of hefty commission. Maybe he's writing off some of the extortionate interest which his master had added to the debt. Either way, to his purpose is to sort out his long-term financial security. And he's commended for his shrewdness. Jesus says, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. The people of the world uh, refers to those who do not follow Jesus, but who follow themselves, follow the way of the world. For them, money is a means to, to their selfish ends, and they're quite good at doing that. Jesus says. People of the light are those who follow Jesus. They're the light of the world. Although they have different values and don't worship money in the way that those of the world do, they can still use money in positive ways that can bring blessing to others and glorify God. So having money is actually not a sin. It's how we use it. Do we use it for our own self-indulgence or are we generous with it to use it to serve others? If the latter, then that shows where our hearts are, and God will honour us as he welcomes us into our eternal dwellings, Jesus says. A positive example of such a person comes later on in chapter 19 when the tax collector Zacchaeus repents of his love of money. He resolves to give half of his possessions to the poor and says that if he's cheated anybody, he'll pay them back four times the amount. Coming back to chapter 16, Jesus goes on to say in verse 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Often our uh, generosity is limited by our anxiety, our anxiety about the future, not trusting that God will provide for us. And so we hold on to money and we hold on to resources that we could give away. Jesus is saying that the more generous we are with our money, the more God will bless us with more to be able to be generous with. It was a lesson that we learned as a church when we decided to do our building project. You know, people gave generously. We invested in facilities that would be used for the benefit of others, um, such as the training of ministry trainees to be, to be sent out to serve God's kingdom elsewhere. The verse that we used as our inspiration was from 2 Corinthians 9. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest 
of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. A key thing we have to remember when it comes to being generous is that the resources that we have been given are not ours. They belong to God. We're just the managers of those resources. And that means we need to be honest in the way we manage them. We need to be wise in the way we manage them. And we need to be generous in the way we manage them. That doesn't mean we can't spend money on ourselves. We, we do need to look after our physical and mental health. And therefore, a holiday, as many people are finding at the moment, can be a good use of resources so we come back refreshed to serve the Lord. If we can afford a larger home, again, it's not wrong to spend money in that way. But we need to ask ourselves, are we doing it for the right reason? Are we doing it, for our, again, for our self-indulgence? Are we doing it to make ourselves look good? Or are we doing it so that we can use it for the benefit of others, so we can practice hospitality? Because of the greed and the selfishness in the human heart, money will always be a spiritual battleground. And that's why Jesus comes to the conclusion in verse 13, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. For those who have little, they may be desperate to have more and be envious of those who have lots. For those who have lots, there will always be the temptation to, to spend it on themselves rather than on others, or to be afraid of losing it and so end up hoarding it. We need to pray that the Spirit would help us to master money and not allow money to master us. Be honest with yourself about the extent to which you are mastered by money. If God wanted you to give up your, your job tomorrow and go and serve him, would you be able to do that, or are you trapped by money? If you were offered a promotion, uh, would you automatically accept it because of the money? What are the things that you currently spend your money on that you would find it hard to do without? As Jesus finishes his parable, we're told in verse 14 that the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. Our attitude to money reveals our hearts. Jesus has just revealed the hearts of the Pharisees who were told loved money. And so Jesus continues to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. But God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. You might be able to kid others, he's saying, but God knows your hearts. Or before Jesus goes on to apply his teaching about money to life after death, there's a little section which you can see um, in your Bibles in verses 16 to 18, which Jesus makes a link between the Old Testament the law and the prophets, and what he has come to do, proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. And the reason I think it's there is because it demonstrates that God's values are explained in the Old Testament. Um, they've not changed. Um, the kingdom that was promised in the Old Testament is now being proclaimed by Jesus, and people are being invited to join it. And the kingdom values uh, have not changed. It still means worshipping God above everything else, including money. Well, let's come on to the, the second parable in verse 19. Having challenged his listeners about what they love most in their hearts, God or money, he goes on to warn them 
that the attitude of our hearts will determine where we spend eternity. In the parable, Jesus describes two people, a rich man and a poor man called Lazarus. And he first describes their life on earth. The rich man was dressed in purple and fine linen, a sign of great wealth, and lived in luxury every day. He enjoyed all the things that money can buy. By way of contrast, at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, whose situation was very different. Uh, his health was poor, he was covered with sores, it says, and he couldn't even afford any food. It says he longed to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Just a few crumbs or scraps would do. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Well, the time came when the beggar died. There's probably no one to grieve his death, probably didn't have a funeral or even a marked grave. Although he had nothing in this life, he had a faith in God. And so we're told the angels came and carried him to Abraham's side. And otherwise brought him into the presence of God. Meanwhile, the, the rich man died. And there was no doubt an, an expensive funeral which many attended. But because he had just trusted in himself during his life on earth. And had rejected God. He was taken to a place called Hades or hell. Where we are told he was in torment. There he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. It's probably not a, a literal fire, otherwise we would just get burnt up, but it describes the torment that he's feeling. He still doesn't repent of his rebellion against God or his superior attitude towards Lazarus. He still looks down on him and treats him as someone to do his bidding. Which is why he asked Abraham to, to send him to relieve his pain. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. In the life to come, their situations have become completely reversed. The man who is rich uh, during his life on earth loses everything. And the man who is poor becomes spiritually rich and receives eternal blessings. And sadly, that, that can't be changed. Verse 26 says, And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Well, it can't be changed for me, thinks the rich man, when they at least go and warn my brothers so they don't end up here. Again, he asks Abraham, send Lazarus to my family. Abraham's reply is they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Moses refers to, to the law, the first five books of the Old Testament, which are, are believed to have been written by him. He's saying that in the law, they have all they need to know God and to live a life pleasing to him. In the prophets, they will have heard about the, the Messiah, the Savior King, who will come to deliver them if they repent of their sins. The rich man, who is obviously used to getting his own way, continues to argue, No, Father Abraham. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. 
If someone who's dead comes back to life, that will be the proof they need. They will definitely listen then. Abraham answers, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Jesus is telling this parable knowing that he is soon to die and give up his life for humankind, knowing also that he will be raised to life and knowing that even after he rises from the dead, many will still not believe. Such is the hardness of their hearts. As we looked at last week, repentance is not just a superficial change in behavior. It's a change in our hearts that leads to change transformed lives. If we don't want to change our lives, then we'll come up with all sorts of reasons or excuses why we don't believe the Bible or the existence of Jesus as the Son of God. There's a real sadness to this parable that um, we can't get away from. Uh, Even as Christians, we don't like to talk about hell. It's not exactly going to make us any friends. But as the well-known Baptist um, minister Charles Spurgeon said, you are hanging over the mouth of hell by a single thread. And that thread is breaking. Only a gasp for breath, only a stopping of the heart for a single moment. And you'll be in an eternal world without God, without hope, without forgiveness. Oh, he says, can you face it? Well, the good news is that Jesus came to deal with that chasm. The great chasm that Abraham describes uh, opened up with the fall uh, when man decided to go his own way and to reject God's rule over his life. At that point, he became separated from God. And there are two problems with this chasm. Many people do not even realize there is a chasm. They're just living life blind to the fact that there is a God who's made this earth, who's made them, and still reigns over this earth. And if that is you, I pray that God would open your eyes to see it. And you'd grasp hold of the salvation that Jesus is holding out to you. Others realize that uh, they do need to be right with God. But um, they're trying to breach that chasm in their own strength. Maybe they're just trying to to do good works and uh, hold on to religious practices. Last week we saw with the parable of the prodigal son how uh, the elder son was in this category. He'd been obedient to his father and never done anything wrong, but therefore thought that his father somehow owed him, that he deserved to get what he wanted. Jesus was making a point to the religious leaders that that we can never be good enough for God. We will always fall short, which is why God sent his son into the world to deal with that chasm, to save us. He was willing to give up the riches of heaven and take on the poverty of this world that we might enjoy the riches of heaven. As we read at the beginning of the service, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Or two applications uh, for those who are already Christians as we finish. Uh, First of all, concerning our attitude to money. Some questions to reflect on. Are you holding on to your money and your earthly riches and putting your trust in them? 
How would you feel if God took it all away? If you became like Lazarus, the, the beggar? Would you be able to say the same as Paul, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. The reason he was able to say that was because he knew that there is nothing this life can offer that can in any way compare with the riches of heaven. And so are you holding on to whatever God has given you lightly, um, knowing that it doesn't belong to you, but he's given it to you as a manager to be used for his glory? Let's pray that um, God would release us from bondage to money. Let's pray that God would help us to believe his promise that my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Let's pray that God would give us a spirit of greater generosity and opportunities to bless others with our money. Second application <clears throat> relates to our attitude to, to hell. Again, a question to reflect on. I do you believe that the Bible teaching that those who reject God and put their trust in themselves will end up separated from God for eternity? And if we do fully believe that, then again, let's pray. Let's pray that will cause us, first of all, to be more grateful to, God, to Jesus for saving us, to be more willing to pray for others to be saved, to be more willing to tell others how they can be saved, and to be more willing to warn those who start to go astray. We may not all have material riches that we can bless others with in this life, but we all have the good news of Jesus that we can bless others with. So let's pray for a greater heart of compassion for the lost and a greater courage to share Jesus with them. Let's pray now. Father God, we do thank you that Jesus came to deal with the chasm that separates us from you. And we thank you for all those believers who are, are now with you, enjoying the riches of heaven. We pray that you would forgive us for the sin of using our earthly wealth solely for our own pleasure. And for the sin of ignoring the, the reality of hell. Father, we pray you would fill us with your spirit, that we may find our true delight in you, that we will be confident that you will provide for all our needs. And so we pray that you'd help us to use the, the money, the time you've given us to help others come to know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. Help us to persevere in prayer for them, knowing that it is by your grace that we are saved. In Jesus' name, amen.